This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. Tax filing season is here, and businesses as well as individuals are going to be feeling the impact of the new tax law. Many corporations work with tax planning firms to help try and reduce their liability and hence improve their bottom line. But when an accounting agency is too aggressive, a lack of transparency can develop, and it can increase the financial complexity of the organization. This can become problematic for outside parties, such as stockholders or investors in that company, as not having all the appropriate information puts their investment on the line. New research from here at the Wharton School highlighting just how significant of a concern this is. Jennifer Bluen and Wayne Gay are uh, professors of accounting here at the Wharton School. They worked on this research and they join us here in studio. Good to see you both. Happy New Year to you both. Thanks for coming in. Thank you. Thank you. Good to be here. Thank you. Uh, so I, I guess let's start with, with with really the background on wanting to do research about this and, and looking at why this is so important. Jennifer? Well, I think one of the primary reasons we started down this path is there's been a lot of work that clearly we've seen that there is benefit to tax planning, right? Companies will save cash taxes, they'll have higher earnings because they're lower tax expense, but not all firms seem to tax plan at the same level, right? We hear in the press often about Apple and the you know intangible, intensive type firms, then maybe not so much about the big durable manufacturers. But the reality is, is not Every firm can tax plan in the same way. So we questioned is why do some firms seem to tax plan more than others, even within like types of firms? And we conjectured that there must be other costs that maybe we haven't thought about. And one of these other costs that we think we've identified is uh, reducing the firm's transparency, you know, in the capital markets, for example. Wayne? Yeah, I started to think about this when, I, you know, this was back 15 years ago, maybe, when I was started teaching this in the classroom, actually, and started to think about, you know, firms that are engaged in some pretty complicated tax transactions and trying to explain how it all works to the students, you yeah. know, and just sort of doing some of my own investigations, kind of looking at companies and, and realizing that, you know, the more complex they got with respect to the tax planning, the harder it was to explain to the students what it was the companies were up to. And so that sort of got me thinking about this issue. Yeah, it's, it's a learning experience for you as yeah, well, right? exactly. Yeah. So then this, this concern about transparency really it comes from where? Well, it comes from investors wanting to understand what the firm is up to. So if you think about you know, a company like Apple or Google, um, you know, investors want to know how the iPhone business is going yeah. and, you know, how that's going around the world, you know, and, and, you know, what new products Apple's putting out and, and where they're expanding to. And at the same time, they're layering on that um, a bunch of uh, sort of transactions and organizational structure that helps them minimize taxes. Um, and when you put those two things together, Investors might look at Apple and say, hey, it's great that you're lowering your, your tax bill. Uh, but at the same time, at the end of the day, we want to know how the iPhone business is doing. And when right. you pick up the financial statements and they get more and more complicated because of how you structured the organization to reduce taxes, investors might have more and more difficulty figuring out what it is the company's up to. And, and I would think as well, uh, being in the industry that I'm in, that you, you see so many analysts out there that are looking at these companies, how they are 
profitable, what their you know tax liability is, that if you don't have the, the correct level of transparency, that it could also, I would think, have an impact on the forecasting for some of these companies and the potential earnings that they would be getting. You know, you may set an expectation of company earning $1.15 per share in a particular quarter. It may end up being something totally different. That's absolutely right. I mean, that was kind of one of the points of what we did in the paper was specifically look at analyst forecast errors and try to anticipate whether they do better or worse depending on the level of tax planning or tax aggressiveness of the firm. And, you know, the anecdote that got me interested in this paper was actually Google back in 2005. What had happened in 2005 is Google had just gone public. Um, so this is kind of people were still trying to get a handle on what it was that Google did. Yeah. Um, and they had uh, given some anticipated forecast of having a 30 percent average effective tax rate. You know, at the time, the U.S. rate was 35. So yeah. they were clearly bringing it down from from where they'd been, which was up about 36, 37. And they said, we're going to go down to 30. Um, and then in the fourth quarter, they reported a 42 percent effective tax rate instead of 30. And the analysts just went a little bit crazy, yeah. right, trying to understand what was going on. And at that point in time, what Apple was, excuse me, what Google was trying to do was set in place their international tax structure. Sure. Yeah. Right. So they were trying to move to Ireland effectively with the, the business that was out of the United States, trying to put that intellectual property offshore. So therefore, profits uh, related to the international business would go into Ireland, which at that time, I think, was between 10 and 12 and a half percent tax sure. rate. Yeah. Well, um, that requires approval from the Treasury to get that blessed before they could start allocating that income offshore. Right. Turns out that they had um, less income that would be reportable in a 12% jurisdiction and a 35% jurisdiction. In that case, their effective tax rate was much higher and a whole bunch, they blew their forecast. Um, at that point in time, you can, uh, this was back in blogs, right, is when people sure. were kind of compare notes. And, it, you know, a lot of analysts anticipated that uh, what was going on is Apple, uh, Google wasn't growing as much overseas as they projected. And so, therefore, the business wasn't going to be as lucrative offshore. And so, a number of analysts revised the recommendations with regard to Google. And, 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 and I guess that, that, that international component plays a, a big role in this when you're talking about the different set of tax standards that are, as you mentioned, Jennifer, in, in Ireland compared to what we have here in the United States. Absolutely. But it's not just international. You can have the issues at a state level. Right. True. Yeah. You can also yeah. have within industry real estate investment trusts and all sorts of posturing with other types of organizational forms. And so, it's, it, while it's very salient in the international context, I think it can be found in any domestic company as well. Wayne. Yeah, and you know another thing to think about is when analysts or investors are trying to forecast earnings. They're looking backward. They're looking in part backwards at a company, and they're trying to extrapolate what happened over the last year or two yep. to the future. And, you know, if you've got a firm with various operating strategies and various tax strategies, the persistence or the transitory nature of those different strategies can be different. So I might have a, a tax strategy in place that's going to give me a one-time or maybe a one- or two-year reduction in my taxes because I get certain types of credits, but it wouldn't be expected to, to sort of persist, persist beyond that. Whereas some changes I'm making in my operating efficiency or with respect to new products, that might persist well into the future. And so the analysts are trying to to weigh or weight the different components of earnings based on whether they're expected to persist into the future. So why is it then this aggressiveness that, that certain firms may have? Why is it that, that is it strictly the complexity of, the, of a particular company as to why this aggressive, aggressiveness co comes out? 
Yeah, maybe Jennifer, yep. you could one way to get that this would Jennifer could explain maybe an example of one of these complicated tax strategies and how, you know, they're moving, you know, they're moving income all over the place. And by the end of the day, you just don't know what the hell was happening. Right. So <laughs> yeah. can I say that? On the end? You can. It's serious. <laughs> okay. You're allowed. Yes, you're good. So, yeah, I mean, there's several structures to sort of, you know, you can use the sort of sexually titled, you know, double Irish or the Dutch sandwich, right? These provocative <laughs> titles on these structures. But what they required require firms to do is actually move the intellectual property to another entity. Yeah. So all of a sudden, a company that just looked like it had, you know, I have a domestic entity, and then they would report I have one foreign affiliate or foreign subsidiary, all of a sudden have six foreign affiliates. And so... As analysts are trying to infer where revenue growth is or these new markets or what's happening, part of the issue is the company doesn't want to say, oh, well, listen, that's just for tax planning. Right. Because right. by revealing it's just for tax planning, somewhat takes away the or increases the likelihood that it could be contested by the tax authority. So they, 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 they have this tension between wanting to explain to the market what exactly they're doing for tax planning purposes, but revealing too much to the tax authorities. And so you see these, these, these double Irish or Dutch sandwich, but also you have this integrated supply chain management, yeah. right? You actually have to physically move goods across multiple jurisdictions. They have to be in that jurisdiction, yeah. but, but what they, they don't want to just say, well, the only reason we're parking inventory in this low tax jurisdiction right. is because it gives us once again, a good tax answer. And so those are the types of transactions that increase the number of entities that are perhaps in somebody's organizational structure. It increases the amount of record keeping or bookkeeping or physical flow of goods within the organization that just makes the company look and appear more complicated. I had one of my uh, best anecdotes that I received of presenting this paper in an in academic setting was there had been a managerial accountant in the room, had done some cost accounting, and said we had one manufacturing facility that had 40 do 42 different cost centers in it, oh, only for tax planning purposes, so that they could facilitate the transfer pricing and where goods and what costs went. And that was not only international, but also for state-level purposes and generating certain tax credits. And so that's what this paper is trying to capture, is all that complexity that goes on merely for getting a good tax well, answer. How much does this also then, I would imagine, have a governance role as well in, ter in terms of impacting the governance uh, of a particular company? Yeah, well, there's a few dimensions of that, certainly, that, that you know, you could imagine both an issue of if, if outside investors don't know what's going on, it becomes harder to monitor sure, what management's yeah. up to. Yeah. At the same time, within the organization, when the board of directors is trying to think about whether we're you know, or management in general is trying to think about whether we're, we're do, are we doing enough tax planning? Are we doing too much tax planning? You could imagine them sort of, you know, again, investors saying, hey, it's great that you guys are reducing your taxes, but, you know, don't do this to such an extent that we can't figure out what's going on in the organization. So the board of directors has to sort of step in the middle here as well and make sure that they've got a sense for, you know, how much is too much tax planning? And certainly we're not here to say today that, you know, reducing your taxes is a bad thing. I mean, that's certainly not what we're doing. But at the same time, there are costs associated with doing that. And, you know, there is some evidence out there that management can sometimes, in certain circumstances, hide behind some of these tax strategies when yeah. they're playing games or trying to funnel, funnel resources to pet projects or things like that. Right. And then that's where you potentially run into the trouble uh, of getting tabbed on it on, on the back end. And then you're having to deal with, you know, some sort of legal legal issue that uh, that you have to clear up uh, after the fact. Right. 
Right. I mean, and this is also part of why we talk about is that, you know, management, what we're looking at in our in our group of firms is saying, you know, our, our managers are kind of aware a little bit of this trade-off. Sure, yeah. Right? Yeah. And so, because they are facing the governance issue, and this is something that is, you know, broadly discussed, right? I don't think this is any, like, hidden thing where, oh, the, you know, only a segment worries about governance. I mean, big deal when it comes down to tax planning and what's actually going on in the firm. But what we see is that our firms, or, or at least some some group of our firms, seem to be cognizant that there's this issue with either the organization has gotten a little bit opaque, right? Or they're trying to reveal that they're a good type, right? They're not not stealing from the firm right. by, you know, disclosing more, right? And that's what we see is sort of in the presence of these more aggressive firms, they seem to have a little bit longer MD&A discussions. And they seem to chat a little bit more about tax and things that they can control in an effort to somewhat mitigate some of this, you know, cost that we, we've identified. Yeah, and just to be just to sort of expand a little bit on what we what we actually do in this paper. So when we talk about firms becoming less transparent, we're not just sort of talking about that sort of qualitatively. We're actually going out and looking at the capital market effects that, that liquidity yeah. in the capital mm-hmm. markets goes down when these firms are oh, too absolutely. tax aggressive. Right. Yep. That analysts have a difficult time forecasting earnings. That the quality of financial reporting goes down, and and that managers then step in and try to balance that yeah, with right. additional disclosure. Well, right. And, and when you talk about it, 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 we're talking about it realistically in the perspective of one company doing X, Y, and Z. But when you talk about a variety of companies that may be doing different things, but maybe having the same impact, then, as you say, with the capital markets, the impact is multiplied tenfold, twentyfold, whatever. And what we think is a very profitable company or a very profitable sector on one side ends up becoming something totally different. Yeah, no, that's absolutely right. I mean, yeah, we're looking at thousands of companies across a bunch of industries. Um, and in part of our analysis, what we're, we're also recognizing is that in different industries, there are different types of strategies that firms can engage in. So yeah. part of our analysis does sort of control for the fact that in the tech industry, they might have certain tax strategies available to them. In the oil industry, maybe something else. In yeah. the pharmaceutical industry, something else. And so our analysis is is trying to get at, you know, within that industry, given the sort of menu of tax strategies you have available to you, are the firms that are taking greater advantage of those tax strategies more likely to have these liquidity problems and Jen- transparency problems? Jennifer? Yeah, absolutely. No, and I think an important aspect is these transparency problems, as we, you know, Wayne alluded to, is it's it's not just affecting the external market, right? The firm gets a little bit harder to manage the accounting. I mean, this sure. is sort of what we started to see is it's not any necessarily intentional bad behavior, but what it does is it makes it harder to forecast, not even internally, but sort of externally. And it's not just a tax expense, right? I mean, yeah. it's it's actually coming down to where is the growth taking place? How am I sort of monitoring, you know, presumably managing, you know, my margins across the organization. And so I think that's what we're trying to capture is this. It's, it is. It's a bigger picture um, idea than just write down I'm, I'm managing taxes. Were you, ab- were you able to tell from, from some of the research that you did specifically what the impact was on investors when you had instances of this going on? Because I would think in some cases there's obviously a benefit because they're lowering the tax the, the tax base. But that that uncertainty obviously can have a negative pull on, on the investor as well. Yeah, I don't think we really, in, in, in this paper in particular, go to finally what's the, you know, is it an overall aggregate market bad news or good news, right? right? And that's a really tough question to answer right. because 
we've identified this cost, but they're incurring that cost presumably because the benefits they're getting for it exceed that cost, right? So a firm's going to continue to tax plan, but sure, you yeah. know, it's not dollar for dollar; it's ninety nine cents, right? Right. Once you, you account for this transparency issue. Yeah, and it's really hard to figure mm-hmm. out, you know, what's the sweet spot, right? Mm-hmm. Because it's going to be very company specific depending sure. upon yeah. where they're doing stuff. So. At the end of the day, what we can do is we can say the firms that are more aggressive with the taxes, they suffer these capital market effects in terms of things like their bid-ask spreads uh, go up. So investors try to protect themselves against the fact that they don't know what's going on. So there are these liquidity issues. There are these tax advantages, and the sweet spot for a given company is very, you know, it's really, you can't tease that out if you're looking at a thousand. You know, one of the advantages of looking at thousands of firms is you get a lot of power to see what the pervasive effects are. Sure. But the disadvantage is that you can't say for any given firm what the sweet spot is. Jennifer? Yeah, no, I think, I think Wayne's captured it exactly is, you know, if we, it would be ideal, right, if we could look at some sort of, um, you know, cost of capital type story, right? But that's just such a difficult question because we just have to presume when you look at these large samples that on average firms or management's behaving optimally, right? Which they are trying to you do hope, the right yeah. thing. We hope yeah, they're trying right. to do the right yeah. thing. Yeah. But given the, you know, given the the folks that, we, you know, the, the, the structures that we have in place in the United States, I would think on average, right, the, the monitoring effect of the SEC and the Treasury and things along that line is there's not too much true rent extraction by the sample of firms that we're looking at but and you, so you, on average. You brought up something interesting from the state perspective because of the variance of tax rates from state to state that, again, you can have this type of activity going on between Florida and Mississippi or Ohio and Pennsylvania because of the tax rates. Absolutely. And if you ever look at the list of uh, if you look at a, a U.S. Uh, perspective of the list of tax shelters or tax shelter countries or havens, you know, you start with things like. Bermuda sure. Caymans. But if you look at any uh, foreign jurisdictions list of the world's biggest tax haven, Delaware is always at the top of the yeah, list. Right, yes. And yeah. essentially, there's yeah. many, many structures with regard to um, intangible assets within the United States, and all of them are driven by Delaware. And so, yeah. uh, the, uh, you know, captive REITs and things along that line that we are, in fact, have in our sample when we look towards our group, as we said, we were industry adjusting, right? So if we were to say, look at restaurants, restaurants are a uniquely domestic only business, right? right? And so when we can look across state lines, they have absolute, you know, they have the incentive to try and say, well, the branding or the marketing, you know, that goes to Delaware. So it's, so then for for taking on that industry side for, for one second, you mentioned the restaurant industry, but something like a steel company that may obviously have an impact, not only here in the United States, but in Ireland or, you know, Germany or somewhere like that, we're just talking different levels of doing the same thing. Absolutely. Right. So, you know, we wouldn't I said the double Irish and the Dutch sandwich doesn't work for steel. Right. Because yeah. the, the yeah. intellectual property there, there's some, but it's not to the extent that you will see in pharma or computers or things along that line. But they have their different structures, incentives and credits. Right. That jurisdictions want to give them to bring them into a particular, you know, to do business in one state or another or country or another. Wayne. Yeah, I mean, anytime you have different, you know, different places where firms can move profits that have different tax rates, and that can be across countries, it can be even with across mm-hmm. cities. I mean, cities compete aggressively right. for getting tax credits. So, yeah, the yeah. most recent Amazon issue in terms of what they got from all the different cities that were bidding essentially for that business. 
So it's and, and I also want to say it's not just a it's not a U.S. company mm-hmm. specific phenomenon. Sure, yeah. we would expect this to hold for international companies, like sure. Jennifer said. Some of those companies come to the U.S. Mm-hmm. for tax planning <laughs> purposes, and you'd expect their investors back home to try to figure out well what it why are we doing why are we doing business in Delaware again? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. The bankruptcy state. <laughs> the bankruptcy go. state has got a great tax it's haven. Got everything right. <laughs> it's amazing. One stop shopping. You've heard That's so. Right. Much. It's funny because I, I mean you obviously you've heard for for decades about the bankruptcy side of it, but I, that's the first time really that I had heard the tax oh, haven side of it. Jeffrey too. the Giraffe, Toys R Us, started really? all of that. Absolutely fascinating case, right? How's Be- that? So Toys R Us, right? You had a store in every jurisdiction in the, you know, in this every state in the country, yeah. pretty much. Yeah. And what uh, they astutely figured out is the Jeffrey the Giraffe, that intellectual property was placed in Delaware. So now every state, Toys R Us store in every state paid a royalty payment to Delaware, right, to for use of Jeffrey the Giraffe. They got to make a deduction of that royalty payment in their home state, reducing the amount of tax that was reportable wow. in each one of your states. And Delaware has a 0% tax rate on royalty income, right? So, and, and there, no effect on the federal level. There was no play on this story in a federal level. It was all a state. What a state other state? What other states are ones to, from from a perspective of somebody on the outside? What other states are ones that that are, are, are watchful of how this is kind of structured? Um, well, Delaware. I mean, who who's watching what Delaware is doing? Well, or no, to be concerned, I, but, where, but other, other states, states, right? Like similar to what Delaware does. Well, what flavor of thing are you looking for? For example, That's Nevada, true. right? Yeah. That's the big zero state in Washington. Um, another right, so you can have these pockets of zero federal corporate federal tax rate states, and so that's where yeah. servers, for example, are located often in Nevada, which is an and, interesting case. And, but and when Jennifer was talking about the double Irish Dutch sandwich, I mean that's precisely what she was talking about mm-hmm. in Ireland as well. So yeah. you know, companies like Apple and Google they will put their intellectual property in Ireland, yeah. and then anybody that uses Apple's technology around the world has to pay royalties to Ireland, which gets taxed at a lower rate. And then those profits will be funneled somewhere else where it's even lower rate. And so it's, you know, this sort of intellectual property, putting that in a low tax area, that's a big part of this game. Where where then does the, the responsibility lie in terms of, of, of this mindset, this aggressiveness with the tax planning? Because, as you mentioned, board of directors has to be aware, aware of this. Investors probably are not as much aware of it, but probably should because of the impact, as we said, that could potentially happen on earnings and market share and stuff like that. So where does the where does the responsibility lie in this? Well, I mean, the trick is, is if there's something, if there's a strategy that's known to work that effectively, I use the term, blessed by the tax authorities, yeah. then why shouldn't a firm take advantage of it? Sure. And so we've talked about the double Irish. The I, I would say Ireland is complicit in that strategy. Yeah. So in Ireland, you are it's what we, they have a quasi-Irish organization. Yeah. It has an Irish name. It's Irish registered, but as long as your assets, your income, and your management happen outside of Ireland, it's not taxed in Ireland. Yeah. So in this case, always Bermuda. So legally, the structures are in place. You know, other countries cannot like it. 
But Ireland has said this is we want to bring in, I always call it the skilled labor, right? Because in order to have the structure, you have to have the call center or the people. Yeah. So that's what they're saying. We're willing to give, I always call it the corporate corporate tax loss leader, right? Well, and, you come in for the low tax rate, but we get your skilled labor. And, and it's why we saw so many companies, what, about three or four years ago, wanting to move their, their headquarters to Ireland just because of the difference of the tax rate between here in the United States, which was 30 to 35 percent, and, and Ireland, which was 10 to 12 percent. Right. I think 50 companies inverted to Ireland because yeah. of this, right? And so, therefore, it is. It, I think it would be prudent for management to consider that kind of move if they're in an industry where all their competitors, for example, are operating in that low-tax jurisdiction. Wayne? Yeah, and just to sort of layer one thing on top of that now is that, you know, we've got a new tax law of the land here. Yeah. And so a lot of this is going to get flipped around on its head. And we were talking earlier about <laughs> analysts trying to forecast Profits, you know, that's a big part of what they do. Yeah. Now you've got a, a, a much lower U.S. tax rate. Yeah. And so the, the strategy that was the right strategy for tax purposes <laughs> two years ago is no longer the right strategy. So if you're an analyst and you're trying to figure out, well, how is Apple going to play the game now? How is Google going to play the game now? Suddenly you're trying you, you might know how they're going to be selling iPhones, but yeah. you may not have any idea what the new tax game is going to be. Which is something we've got about 30 seconds left. That's an important aspect of this, because when you think about, excuse me, the uh, the quarterly report that comes out, Apple being the example, the first thing that everybody looks at is, OK, what were the iPhone sales for, for last right. quarter? But almost something that kind of goes under the under the radar that probably is just important is how they're dealing with with their tax structure. That's right. And that's what we've seen. It's earnings season, right? And company yeah. after company are yeah. revealing some a lot of surprises about what's going on with the new tax act. Yeah. That said, what will they unwind? Yeah. Or will they unwind? I just pulled to, to wrap up this morning. I just pulled off IDA Ireland, which is Ireland's inward investment promotion agency. Right. So Ireland is still consciously beating their drum about we come to Ireland and get twelve and a half percent. Sure. So yeah. 21's great. It's a whole lot better than 35 but it's still not 12 and a half. So I anticipate that they'll still be planning in the future. Great seeing you both. That's a great right. story. Thank you both. Take Thanks. Care. Jennifer Thank Blue and uh, Wayne Gay from here at the Wharton School. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.